Go. Sorry, I didn't read my run sheet properly. Well, how are we this morning? Starving. Yes, amen to that. It was uh, yesterday, I thought it would be a great day to get a, bu- a bunch of stuff done around the yard. By the end of it, I was nearly fainting, but I persevered. I was like, right, we're, uh, I think we've got plenty of reserves to draw on. We, we can do this. Cool. Um, I, I was just reflecting the end of a season. So our, our church, for those who, who don't know, we started uh, in 2007. We were a, a, a church plant from Teen Challenge. There's a, uh, a drug rehabilitation center in Esperance. There's actually a church. They've got a church there called Grace Chapel in Esperance, an amazing little place where, um, to be really honest, uh, is where I really can reconnected with God and, and I'd say a large amount of the miracle that's taken place in my life has hap- ha- took place inside that little chapel with the stained glass window at the back and the cross and this magic. Um, for those that have been there, you know what I'm talking about. And for those who haven't, we run Mission Strips to Teen Challenge and we want you to come and experience this. There's times where at the back of this window you can see the little sheeps, not the word, lambs, lambs frolicking. And there are these trees behind it, and each tree symbolizes an actual person. And I had the privilege of watching these trees grow from little saplings to great big trees. And just such a special place. And then 2007, um, Melissa and I were part of the team that planted Grace Chapel, Perth. Um, and then uh, when we were invited to become the pastors of the church for a period of time, then we felt God calling us to shift away from Teen Challenge and become our own church. So what you do when you become a church? You stop being called a chapel and become a church. It was a significant statement in, in, in God and we became Grace Church. And then Melissa and I had the privilege of running uh, and overseeing the church for, for, a, for a, a bunch of years. And then uh, two years ago, I felt God called me to step down, we'll swap roles really with Melissa, uh, step off the staff team. So I still work here, but I just don't get paid. Uh, and and uh, we swapped role, and Melissa took the reins. And then last year, it was about the same same time last year. We just felt God saying the Grace Church season is done. We, we, we've con- we've done what we were supposed to do in that season, and we felt God calling us to a new a new season. And it was strange. We we knew we were being called to a new season, but we didn't know what. It was like we, we felt God saying it's time to stop being Grace Church, but He didn't say it's time to start being. All we heard was stop, and we're like, ah, uh, okay. And we're seeking God and, and just searching. And then uh, a bunch of cool names came up, the right names. The, uh, we, we did the uh, due diligence, searched out what good names, what's popular, what's all of this. And we had some good ideas. But then, um, and then Melissa walked into. I remember I was sitting, sitting in the bedroom and Melissa walked in and she said, what do you think about everyday church? I'm like, nah. And I'm like, hang on. And she's like, because yeah, I think she didn't want me to say yes either. Because it wasn't like it was a bad thing. It was just wasn't our thing. You know when you have an idea and it's a great idea? And then somebody else has an idea and it's a different idea? And she's walked in and you could see it wasn't her idea. You could see she'd gotten the idea from someone. And, and as, she's, and I, and as sort of the nah sort of left my mouth, I'm like, hang on. Hmm. It was actually the exact same sensation that I, I remember when uh, we had... So we've got three kids, Caleb, Ethan, and Tiffany. And, and Caleb and Ethan, this is a really crazy thing. When I was a young adult, I'd always wanted two boys called Caleb and Ethan. And that was all I was like, that I was having, that was, you know. And, and Melissa had the exact same names. They were the exact, exact same names. So cool. So that with no drama naming those two. Then we had, Melissa was pregnant for the third time. And... We had a really good boy's name picked out, like a really good one. We're like, yeah. And then we're like, but we have to be open. We, had, we need a girl's name as well because you just don't know these things. And then we're like, we could not decide on one. And then all of a sudden, Tiffany just came. Again, it wasn't so much an idea. It was more a deposit. And it was like, yeah, yeah, hmm. And then the more we thought about it, the more it was, yes, yeah. And then by the end, we're like, this is right. So when she came along, we were confidently named her Tiffany which actually uh, means manifestation of God, uh, uh, theophany, like a, it, and, 
But it was the exact same way that this that everyday church came to us. It was a deposit. It wasn't an idea. It was a deposit. And as we sat there, it grew and it grew and it grew. And I'm really excited. Next Sunday, we're giving birth. Next Sunday is the day. I don't know about cutting the umbilical cord. I'm sure we'll cut some cake maybe. No pressure, Margaret. (laughs) I don't think she knows, but she would probably couldn't help herself make one anyway. But what I'm getting at is that God moves us through eras and seasons and, and he, does a, he does a work in us and through us and he does it privately and he does it corporately. He does it personally and he does it publicly. And, and as we're in this taking seven days as a church to pray and fast, last week we spoke about what fasting does to us and we realized it really helps us to hear the voice of God and boosts our faith and grows our authority as believers, our authority as disciples, our ability to manifest the will of God on earth. And, and, but what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about, the, about prayer and fasting for breakthrough. About prayer and fasting for breakthrough. Um, so what we're going to really look at this morning is how we how it works what we and, and also what's our part to play and i want to start with isaiah chapter 58 this is the fasting chapter for those who you know for some of us know the the faith chapter which we worked from the other day when we went to the book of uh, hebrews as hebrews 11 and there's the love chapter the chapter we read when we're doing weddings first uh, corinthians 13 but then we've got the fasting chapter is uh, Isaiah chapter 58. And it's good, but it's horrible. Like, I'll explain. Uh, we'll start from verse 2. Um, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and have not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? So what were they saying? They were eager for God to come near them, but then they've not experienced the closeness they were hoping for and that they even sacrificed for. So now they're like, what do we even do this for? Why have we fasted, they say, verse 3, and, and you haven't seen it? We, why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? This is God talking now. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please you, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrel and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. Uh, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting, I ha- the fast I have chosen? Only for, a day, uh, only for a day, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? Is it only for lying in sackcloth and, cl- and ashes? Is this... What you call a fast, a day acceptable to God, says, is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide for the poor wanderer in shelter and when you see them, clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. So basically, what he's saying is that we're seeking God as a fast for the answer for the closeness with god for the 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 payoff if you like which is fine and totally good because god says this is actually the result of the proper fast but he says like you guys are fasting but your fasting ends up with you punching into each other like i know that's very graphic and i'm sure in our civilized society it doesn't happen so much like that you read the bible they're all like throwing rocks at each other and punching in and like rods and all of this sort of business. But, but what he's saying here is your fast ends with fighting and strife. And how do you call that a fast? How do you call that genuinely seeking me when that's the outcome? So the outcome you're after is closeness with me. And so that's the outcome I'm trying to give you. It says, but the way you go about it is causing strife and division rather than being a blessing to people. So the lesson here is that you fast, yes, it is 
ultimately to get closer to God. Ultimately, it is to see God do a work in our life. But the way we go about it is not, and it's important that as we read, it didn't say, is not the type of fast that I have said to humble yourself. Isn't it like he's saying, what, what? no, he says only to humble yourself. So with this fast we're on isn't only to humble ourselves. It isn't only to make ourselves contrite. It isn't only to take the flesh off the throne so we can get to know God. No, no, no. What it's saying is that the point of the fast, the fast that God requires, is that yes, we humble ourselves. Yes, we take our eyes off ourselves. But also we lift our eyes up and say, hey, God, what are you wanting to do? What are you wanting to do? How can you use me? How can you use me? How can I be a part of what you're doing on planet Earth? He says, then we get the outcome we are hoping for. It says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call on the Lord and he'll answer you. He will say, here I am. So basically we're in this process called a fast, which I won't say we initiate, but we have to pull the trigger on. As a church, you didn't initiate this fast. I didn't initiate this fast. Pastor Mel said, hey, we're, I'm calling a fast. She initiated it, and we believe under the inspiration of God. But it wasn't you or me. We're like, um, okay, but I have to pull the trigger on whether I'm taking part personally. So which, however it works out, we have to pull the trigger at some point and say, I'm in. So these guys, that typically their fasts were actually a national thing. There was like a national day of fasting. And they would, but they would still have to pull the trigger individually and say, I'm in. And it's saying that at this point, they're, in, they're starving their body. They're crucifying their flesh. But then they're punching into people. God's like, oh my goodness, how wrong could you possibly get it? So, I don't know about your house, but what I find when we fast is things can get a little bit testy. Now, that can happen just when I haven't eaten. We call it the hangries. It's a thing. If you're like from my family, you know this thing. Crystal would know this thing. She's married to my brother. When, when I was a kid growing up, it was around feeding time. You'd be watching my dad and like, oh, is it safe to just wait till he gets some food in before we go close? You know, it's a th- but, but it's more than that because it's not just the blood sugar dropping that's the problem. What is actually happening is, is we're coming to God to get closer to him. We're coming to God to engage with him. And what he starts to do is he starts to purify us. He starts to refine us. Remember last week we learned that, uh, that this fasting, this prayer and fasting actually grows our faith. It divides between the joints and marrow, the motives and the intentions of heart. It's a process that God does in us to make us more like him. But what that means is we have to be less like us. And what, remember last week we learned that it's, it's really, it makes us not flesh dominant. It makes us spirit dominant. So we're not being driven by our emotions. We're not being driven by our feelings. We're not being driven by our carnal desires. We're actually being driven by what does God say? What's God calling me to? And it's become moving us to a place where we're sensitive to that and actually choose that uh, to a type of people who that's how we operate. And so as we're call, called to a corporate fast, we are fasting for a reason. As a church, we've been called to fast to, as we enter into this new season, as we are birthing everyday church, as we are looking forward to the generations ahead. How can we serve those who, are gonna, who have not even walked through these doors yet? What can we do to provide a home for them? How? Now, this is why I believe fasts end in strife and punching and, and violence. Is because we're always like, you get agitated and it's you're the problem. So you notice how I pointed at the gap. I wasn't hitting anyone there. We're like, you're the problem. And what we start, <laughs> what we start to do is we get our eyes off God, off ourselves, and straight at someone else. You're the problem. 
If you are only like this, then this. If you are only like... And what we're starting to do is we're starting to look for solutions. Hey, and that's great. That is really good. It's a healthy part of the process, a necessary part of the process. The problem is, is when they stop at the person. Because I can promise you, they are not the problem. God is not going to let another person block you from where he wants to take you. God won't do that. It says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God won't do that. We have to get down to the point it's like where this person is doing this thing and it's making me like this. It's okay, well, let's just get right back to what is God actually saying about me? What's God saying about me? Because until we can get to the point where Christ on the cross being crucified, called every name under the sun, physically abused, emotionally abused, his mates left him, stripped naked, just absolutely humiliated. After he poured out and poured out and poured out on these people. And after he can, and he was able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even when the pain was extreme and it was being caused by other people, Jesus was actually taking his eyes off them and saying, no, and he was able to deal with the Father directly, uninterfered with by the people who were actually bothering him. And it was, hey, hey, God, it's, it's, don't, it's like, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and he was talking directly with the Father. And this gets us to a place where it's much, this is totally in line with what we spoke about last week, where this journey God wants to take us on is critical for us to, we have to go through this if we're going to get to where he wants us to, to where he wants to take us. So there's something I've written down here and we're going to work from here. And it says, um, if I can find it, personal breakthrough precedes public and corporate breakthrough. Personal breakthrough precedes public and corporate breakthrough. When, when you're at Teen Challenge, and for those that are totally un, unfamiliar with this place, it's a Christian drug and alcohol rehab where they don't basically see the drugs as the problem. They see that the problem is what's going on inside you. And so what starts to happen is, and the, they'll do these Christian workbooks and Christian uh, resources that, and that's the large way of the discipleship process takes place. And as a staff member, if you see someone and they can see that anger is a problem in their life, what you will do is you will assign them a particular book. And for the Teen Challenge people that are here, you know this book. And we call it the Anger Workbook. The Anger Workbook. So you think, right, doing the Anger Workbook, you start to do it, you should be chilling out. Phew. I just keep getting better and better. Amen to that. So that's not how it works. When you start doing the anger workbook, you'll see, you know what would happen as a staff member before you give someone the anger workbook? You would give them the anger workbook. You would let all the other staff know, hey, I've just given Joey the anger workbook. Why? Because we're expecting that Joey is going to flip his lid at different points and we need to be extra gracious because we know that God is doing a work in Joey in the area of anger and it doesn't work like this or all of a sudden just start getting better. No, what happens is it comes to the surface. It rises to the surface. So if you're praying about something in your family, in your life, and it gets worse, it's not time to stop praying. It's, it's time to start thanking God. When stuff starts coming, and this is why the fasting ended with striking. It ended with division. It ended with, uh, with, with, with this chord is because the work that was happening internally was doing, God was doing his job, but they were processing it wrong. They, they, weren't, they were processing it wrong. And we look in the Bible where we dealing with people who were called to public and corporate breakthrough, in particular people that were called to deliver their nation. The, the clearest, the, one of the earliest clear-cut clear examples of this is, is a guy called Moses, and he was called to deliver his people out of slavery. They'd been in slavery now for 400 years in Egypt, and God separated this man, and, and there was a call on his life to be the deliverer. So what Moses did... was he saw the problem. What was the problem? 
people were slaves. Who were they enslaved to? The Egyptians. So who were the problem? The Egyptians were the problem because they were keeping the, his people in slavery. So where does the anger go towards the Egyptians? And he actually killed an Egyptian. What's the problem here? Your fasting is supposed to talk, help people with deliverance, which Moses was trying to do. But in the flesh, he wasn't prepared God's way. He was in the flesh. So what he did is he physically used his emotion and killed the man. That was, that was the, the, man, the manifestation of the problem, if you like. He struck the man. Then God took him away for 40 years. When I say God took him away, he was on the run from the police. He just committed murder. He had to go. So he went away for 40 years on the other side of the desert. And it talked about Moses before he left. And he says, this was a mighty guy, powerful in speech. He was trained as a ro in royalty. You're not going into the story. But this guy was physically amazing, mentally amazing. He was socially prominent. He had all of this stuff going for him. And then 40 years later, God met him. And this is where I believe God wants to use you in the area of corporate breakthrough, in the area of public victory. You have a part to play. So Moses, he's 40 years, he, the call of God, I can only imagine this guy's life. I can only imagine the last 40 years. This guy had had the... He was on the trajectory for, for his mission. He, he could see it. He, he, I'm sure he had the sense in his spirit. We know he did because he actually, he physically tried to deliver his people. We, he was on the trajectory to get where he was supposed to go. He blew it. Then all of a sudden he is as far as humanly possible from walking out his destiny. 40 years. He's now 80 years old. He's an old man. He's past the prime of life. He's not the strapping young guy who was on fire for his mission and knew that God had a plan for his life and was just waiting his time and learning what he could. And this guy is 40 years down the road, living in a foreign country. No, none of his, He's had to start all over again doing a job that was lowly regarded to his people. And then God visited him in the form of a burning bush. And Moses goes to the bush and then God speaks to him. And Moses is like, man, you got the wrong guy. He's like, I, I can't, I I'm nobody. You have got the wrong person. And what had happened was in this time, in these 40 years, his mindset had gone from one of, I can do this in my own strength. I will do this if I have to take the bull by the horns myself. To one of, I can't do this. I can't even do the, most simple, the, the, the simplest aspect of this, just delivering the message. And then God says the most remarkable thing to him. He says, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? And he said, man, I've got a stick. It was a shepherd's stuff. I've got a stick. And God's like, cool. And then he got him to do these miracles with his stick. And this, the stick wasn't overly magic, okay? It, it was God. But it was what he, he could have had. What do you have in your hand? Yeah, y'all got a telephone directory. It, it would have been awesome. We're using telephone directory. But God's question to Moses was, what do you have in your hand? And, and Moses, from this place of now 40 years of being humbled, he said, this is all I've got. And then God said, that's enough. And then we see his journey a little further. He goes and God calls him and he sets the Israelites free. And then he takes them to a place where they're again confronted with, so they're, they're, they've been rescued from slavery. They're on the run now as a nation. Pharaoh says, yeah, I liked having slaves. Sort of realized it's not as good as I thought it was. Uh, no, we need them back. So he's, he sent his army out to go and bring them back. And they're at the, the edge of the Red Sea. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got Pharaoh's army behind them. And Moses stresses out and he's crying out. And you know what God says to him? Poor darling, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. I oh, know that's a different version. 
That's not what it says. God's like, why are you whinging to me? <laughs> if I'm Moses, I'm like, who else am I going to whinge to? Like, God's like, why, why, what's your problem, man? Why, why, what? And then he says to Moses, just get, you, what do you have in your hand? The stick. Put it over the sea and it parted. So this brings us, Moses to the point where it's like he's been refined and separated and purified through physical challenge, 40 years of it, to the point where he's able to, instead of looking at his hands and thinking they're enough, he recognizes these hands aren't enough. These hands aren't enough. And then God says to him, what's in your hand? And it's like, the little I have is yours. And God says, great, that's what I want to use. And I use that. And he's at this place again. And the sad thing is for Moses, is he went back to his default setting at one point And the challenge came when God said, I want you to speak to this rock and command water to come out of it. Moses went back to his default setting and it hit the rock. And water did come out of it, but God said, man, you missed it. And, and so what had actually happened there is this relying on his own ability came back to haunt him again but what God's doing is he's speaking to people and he's saying I need to get you to get to the place where you can't look at your hand and think that I can do this in my own strength because when you do that you look at other people and they're the problem if I could just remove them then it'll then then we can do this they're the problem I can do this except for them and we start to look at other people and, 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 and God's saying, this is not the way that we do it. And we move to another, a couple of other amazing uh, figures in scriptural history. And when they were called to, when God placed a call on their heart to deliver their nation. The first one we look at is Esther. We'll do this in chronological order. Esther, uh, chronological I'm actually confused which one comes first. They're both through the exile periods. But we, we look at, um, Nehemiah is the one I wanted to work from. But he, this guy, he is a cupbearer to the king. He, he's, his country is in exile. There is this again in slavery. And he's a cupbearer to the king, which sounds like it's a sketchy job. Like, it's really like a slavery job. Like, we've got to understand, this guy's a slave. But in the sense of that particular world, Pretty much everybody in the whole country is a slave. When you're dealing with a king, the king owns everything. They just do whatever they want. And whoever they say is powerful is powerful. And whoever they say isn't, isn't. Everybody's living in... The so this guy, his job is the right-hand man to the king. His job is to be the last one that tests things before they get to the king. This is a highly trusted guy uh, who, who's deep relationship with one of the the key player in his area of the world, he is actually, even though he's a Jew that's in exile and he's actually a slave, he is actually one of the top dogs in the country. He's got an amazing life. Word gets to him that his country is in ruins and that the wall is being pulled down and, and walls protect cities. And he's like, and it just got to him. And it really started to eat at him. And, and, he's, and then the scripture says in Nehemiah, it says that he fasted and prayed. It says that he mourned, fasted and prayed. Now this guy is on the other side of the world, not the other side of the world exactly, but might as well have been. They didn't have airplanes, cars. He, he's a great distance away. He's got, he's got this message about his home country problems that are happening over there he's over here feels the call what does the call feel like the call feels like your heart's broken for that cause you, 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 the call feels like you have to do something about it. it and it has to be me i have to do something about it i have to do something about it can i solve the problem entirely myself no but i have to be involved and he's like, I have to be involved. And it says he fasted and prayed. He mourned, fasted and prayed. And then the king said, hey, man, what's wrong? Because he was very close to the king. The king says, I'm, uh, what's wrong? And then this is where it gets really, really critical. The king said to me, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servant, 
has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah, through prayer and fasting, says, I want to be part of the solution. Send me. Send me. I'm willing to leave luxury to go on a dangerous journey to do hard physical labor in a dangerous land for the cause. Send me. Send me. We move across to, to, to uh, Esther. And this lady, through a, a, a series of divine miracles, found herself as the queen of, again, in a foreign country. Her people were in exile. They weren't locals. They were, and, but she found herself as the queen. Someone had a plot to kill all of the Jews. She had heard about it. Her uncle came and told her about it. And he said, you've got to do something about it. You have to do something about it. He says, who knows except that you've come to this position for such a time as this. And she's like, you don't get it. You can't just go and talk to the king. Even though she's married, didn't give her any privilege to go and see this man. She said, you can't go to him unless he calls and makes an appointment for you to come. And he hasn't called on me in 30 days. I don't think he wants to see me. If you actually just go and present yourself and he doesn't say, put out his, his, his royal scepter and, and, and say, come, he says, it's just an automatic termination. By that, I mean your head falls off. And, and, and then so what she says, she says this, she says, so, so she told this to her uncle, it says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, that's her uncle, he sent back this answer. Don't think, we're in verse 13, don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather all of the Jews who are in Susa, that's their town, the city they were in, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my tenants will fast as you do. When it is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she hasn't asked that those people fast for a solution to the problem. She's not looking big picture. She's looking the next step. She's like, I can't even make one step without some serious... Uh, divine intervention she's asked these people to pray and fast that she can just get in to see the king without being killed that's all so who knows that these three days of prayer and fasting by the people because there's a corporate fast called by the queen has called a corporate fast for the people now they're all praying and fasting none of them initiated it they have to decide whether they're going to pull the trigger and participate they're now participating in this corporate fast so that she can get access to the king without being killed. But who knows, in that three days, they're not all praying, oh, Lord, help Queen Esther that she doesn't get killed on that day. Can I tell you, I'm those people, I'm praying, Lord, good on her, but don't let me get killed. Don't let me get killed. (laughs) And as they're praying and fasting, you know that God is doing a work in his heart, in her heart, in his heart, in her heart. Why? Because public... Private victory, private breakthrough precedes public victory, precedes public breakthrough. He's doing a work in here. But the, thing, but the way it all started was Esther. She said, everyone's fasting, and then I'm going to do it. And if I perish, I perish. Just like Nehemiah, send me. He's like, I, I, I'm, I put myself on the line. Esther puts herself on the line. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 says this. It says that the type of, I'll read it. I've got it in the uh, Passion, which is, just says it so nicely. I thought I had it in the Passion. Look at this. Here we go. How prepared am I? Beloved friends, what should 
what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, uh, to be His sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Next verse. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. Go back to verse 1. I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be His sacred living sacrifices. Esther put herself on the altar. Nehemiah put himself on the altar. God is calling you and me to put ourselves on the altar. To live this life that says, you're number one. The Apostle Paul put it like this, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus put it like this in John 12. He says that whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever puts their life on the altar for me will find true life. John 10, 10 says this, that I have come that you may know life, have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is saying, I've got a plan for you to have an abundant life, to have the most amazing life possible. And it looks something like this. If I perish, I perish. That's what it looks like. That is what the abundant life looks like. That doesn't mean you leave here with a pathetic, broken down, holy monk style looking life. You know, like, you know the monk people with the brown robes and they go and live in a monastery and they eat the water and bread and, and that's the life. And they're, they're, we often will associate a lifestyle like that as one surrendered to God, one that's given everything. The problem with that mindset is that's not biblically accurate. A biblically accurate uh, <laughs> picture of God's life for those who lay it down is that you would have life and life more abundantly to overflowing and the passion puts that amazingly as well it says that I am the gateway to I'm the gateway to enter through me is to experience life freedom and satisfaction a thief only has one thing in mind he wants to steal slaughter and destroy but I have come to give you everything in abundance more than you expect life in its fullness until you overflow this light, this, this, when we're called to pray and fast, we're called to, it's a season where our life is on the altar, but it's not the only time our life is on. We're called to live on the altar. But what it does is it actually adjusts us because we find ourselves off the altar quite a bit. If you're anything like me, you're like, yeah, God, all for you. Sunday in worship, keys are going and spirits, the little goosebumps are awesome. And preacher saying in that, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, whew, yes, Jesus. Make a little note about that. Highlight your Bible. Cool. You leave with amazing intentions. Monday comes, and you're still there, and you know it. And then by Friday, it's like kids are on you. Bills are piling up. Work. Your boss is like this. Your marriage has got marriage challenges. Your neighbors are like caught whinging about your dog. All of these things. They're the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. And, 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 and before we know it, we're off the altar. Before we know it, our eyes are on other people. Before we know it, we're looking just to our old default settings, our old, our old mechanisms to get things done. Well, I'll just make it happen. Moses kills the guy himself. And we find ourselves here. Fasting is an amazing way just to get back on that altar. It's an amazing way just to get your eyes back on God's way of looking at things. That's why in these times of crisis, these people pray and fast and call corporate prayer and fasting. They're like, guys, we've just gotten off base a bit. We need to get back in line. We need to get ourselves recalibrated and just get back to His way of thinking. No, we don't live like this all the time. We're actually called to an amazing abundant life and you want to we've, we've done amazing teachings on the blessing of God and the goodness of God and Jesus says the, the way to that life is through the cross it's through a life of sacrifice and we're 
heading into a new season as a church. We've got, we've got $100,000 more to raise before we can hit our, our first target. We're like, God, what can I do? What, how can I? God's saying, what's in your hand? There's a story of a little boy in the Bible. There were a heap of hungry people. But he bought the little bit he had. He bought the little bit he had. And Jesus took it, the little bit he had, and said, that's enough. And he made it enough. There's another story of a lady who brings two cents. Remember cents? Like the little round copper cents, the brown money? Two of them to church on a Sunday. It wasn't church, it wasn't a Sunday, it was the temple, which would have been a Saturday, whatever. She's brought two cents to church on a Sunday for the collection, and she puts it in. Jesus is sitting right there watching everyone give. Some people would have given amazing amounts. They would have done amazing, like, whew, yeah, you get like the special reward for being the biggest giver and all of this. Jesus says, nah, it was that lady who gave two cents. She gave all she had in her hand. It says, because she gave all that she had to live on. She gave the most. God isn't interested in the amount that we can do, the amount we can give. What is interested in, in what, is that we can bring what we have in our hand and that we'll let him have that. That's all he's interested in. He says, with that, I can do miracles with that. I can do miracles with that. Why? Because private breakthrough precedes public and corporate breakthrough. Us personally, in our hearts, doing what we need to do. What is what we need to do? Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, clothe them and turn away from your own, not turn away from your own flesh? Then, God's saying, my priority is that we can help people. And, and as we're stepping into, I love that we're, we're, as we're entering the era of everyday church. That name is so loaded. I think we don't even understand what it means yet. I think we're just going to continue to just learn more and more about what that means as a church and what that means for us. I love that we're doing it on the same day that we're being asked to sacrifice. I love it. We're just setting the tone from day one. And remember, sacrificing doesn't mean missing out. Sacrifice means entering in. Holding out means that Jesus said, if anyone would love their life, they will lose it. If they will lose their life for my sake, they will find it. What's the life he's talking about? He's talking about the abundant life, the overflowing life. We've got a week of prayer and fasting, church, and I believe that God wants to do amazing stuff in your heart. He does. He wants, to, he wants to move you to places you've never been, uh, let you see things you've never seen, refine you in ways that you cannot imagine. Some of you would, just uh, with the word peace, you don't even know what that means. Joy, you don't know what that means. Love, you don't know what that means. God wants to do some cool stuff. But he's got to get a lot of us out of the way. But the way to get the stuff we want isn't to focus on us. And it's not to focus on the person that's the problem. It's to focus on what does God want me to do? How can I help? How can I be a part of what you're doing, God? How can I be a part of what you're doing? But we have to be like Nehemiah that says, send me, me. What I've got in my hand. We have to be like Esther. If I perish, I perish. That has, that's the mindset of somebody on the altar. I'm going to pray and 
some of us have already started praying and fasting just regarding this next season of our church what we feel and believe God's calling us to the new home we're hoping to purchase the era that God is calling us into as an everyday church some of you will be starting today But I promise you, God wants you to be a part of it. You're a key part of it. That lady that bought two cents, I guarantee you she did not feel like a key part of that miracle offering that was going on. She's the one Jesus isolated and says she's she's did the most. God wants to do amazing things in your heart. There are ways that we can hear from him only when we're on the altar. There are things he can do in our hearts only when we're on the altar. I spoke about Grace Chapel, Esperance and and I used to call that chapel the operating theatre. Do you know what's in the middle of an operating theatre? An operating table. It's an altar. This life that we're called to on the altar is one where God has full access to our heart. Where he has entire access to our heart. And we respond to that, to him rather than to our flesh. Jesus says this is the avenue to the abundant life. This is where you will see real breakthrough. Where you will see real breakthrough. When you see real breakthrough, it's a precursor to us seeing real breakthrough. Private victory, private breakthrough always precedes public and corporate victory. Always precedes public and corporate breakthrough. God is calling us as individuals to breakthrough. He wants to do something amazing in this church and through this church. But for some reason, He insists on doing something amazing through you first, through me first. He won't just take over and do it. He says, no, no, no. I want to do it through you. And this is what we're doing today, guys. We're just saying, here I am. Here I am. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed. We're just saying to God, God, here I am. Some of us have never actually said that to God in any way, shape or form. This might be the first time you've said, here I am to God. And if that's you, I just want you to join me in prayer. And and if you're here and it's the first time you've ever done that, I just want to invite you just to pop your hand in the air just so I can see you and, and, and pray with you. If you're online, join us as well. God, here I am. I give you my life. I'm yours. Use me. Do what you will with me, Father. I will follow you for the rest of my life. And for the rest of us, we're praying the exact same prayer. The same prayer we prayed on the day of our salvation. God, here I am. (laughs) Some of us, I think God's saying, where did you go? Revelation, one of the the passages says that you've lost the first love. And God's just saying, hey, come back, come back. Prayer and fasting is an amazing way just to grab the steering wheel of your life and saying, hang on, no, God is number one. God is number one in my life. I'm prepared to lose my life for his sake. That's how I find real life. Lord, we say you are first. You are only, you are all. We say that A life outside of your will is not one we want. We trust that your will for our life is good, pleasing, and perfect. And we say we want all of it, God. God, we don't care about the cost. We don't care about the cost. We know the reward is far greater than the cost. We know that the reward is far greater than the cost, Lord. We lay it down. 
We want to be used by you to reach this city, Lord, and this nation. We want Grace Church, as we become everyday church, to be a vehicle and a vessel for Christ to to minister to the people that don't know Him. A discipleship center for people that do know Him to come find healing and direction. Lord, I'm so grateful and I thank you for the season we've had as Grace Church. I'm so thankful for it, Lord. And as we put it to bed, Lord, I'm even more excited about what's ahead. And we know, Lord, that you've got amazing things for everyday church. We know that you've got amazing things for each and every one of us. And we say, yes. We say, choose me. Pick me. Here I am. I will go. And we say that even though we're afraid, we say, if I perish, I perish. But I will do it for you, God. I'm prepared to lose my life for your sake that I might find it. The abundant life. Here I am, God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Amen. Thank you so much, Jacob. What an awesome message, hey? Here I am. Break my heart for what breaks yours, hey? Are we ready? It's going to be good. Jacob said to me, I got home from being away. He said, you realise you put the fast on grand final day and we're taking the youth out for Maccas and... Well, you know, is, ever, is, is there ever a good time, you know? If I perish, I perish, right? <laughs> Here I am. Break my heart for what breaks yours. All right, on that, we are taking the youth out for lunch, so uh, it's going to be good. So parents, we will drop your kids home safely, um, and so it will be good to hang out with them. Uh, we're going to have a party next week. We're going to have a party. We are having cake, and uh, we're going to celebrate next Sunday as we launch Everyday Church. So it's a good opportunity to invite your friends and family. Have you got these on your seats? They're for you to take home, to as you meet people, to invite people, and to make sure you put them in your purse, your wallet, your back pocket, wherever you want to put it, and invite somebody to church uh, next Sunday. So it's going to be awesome. And as well as, um, I think we're at 100. Now, this is not from Dan. It's just my calculation. So I will bring the actual figure next Sunday. But I think we're at about $108,000 that we've raised so far. Is that right? Oh, wow. Cool. I keep a close eye. I do. And uh, even though I'm not the accountant, Uh, on the staff but $108,000 is where we're at and I just want to echo what Jacob was saying first of all I want to clarify you don't need to come and give next Sunday we're just pledging so we're going to have cards and you write on the card uh, how much you want to give fortnightly or monthly or weekly and it's a pledge and so it's how much you're going to give over 12 months so that's how it works and we're going to come forward and we're going to put your pledge uh, in, in a container here and then you've got 12 months to bring in that pledge so first of all I want to clarify that the second thing I want to clarify as well it doesn't matter if it's a small amount or large amount just that you're a part of it you know even if it's you pledge five dollars exactly what Jacob was saying with the widow that's a good thing because you're a part of it and so don't miss out because you don't disqualify yourself because you're embarrassed or because uh, you feel like right now you can't give we don't want anybody to go into debt uh, to give into our building fund so that's really important and also it's a faith sacrifice it's not just about what you think but pray about it and allow God to speak to you and uh, and for some of us it's going to be wow that's a huge stretch and, uh, but remember, we can trust in our almighty God. And so we're going to be doing all that next week, launching, having a party, pledging as we enter in to our next season. Amen? Amen. Have a good week, church. We love you. Stick around for tea, coffee. And, uh, and if you're eating, there may be some uh, bits and pieces there. I'm not sure. There could be some fruit. If you're on the Daniel fast, you can eat fruit, veg, nuts, uh, maybe some brown rice. Make yourself some soup. I don't know. Um, but that's between you and God. We love you, church. We'll see you next week.